0: Like the rest of you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. And this morning, we're going to begin with verse 14. We have uh, left, at least for the moment, the wilderness temptation experiences, having spent three Sundays considering uh, that passage. And uh, moving back into the flow of Luke's narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, As we left the wilderness, uh, we have that uh, kind of sinister verse at the end that says, So the devil left him for the moment, waiting for a more opportune time. And... Surely enough, he does show up again and again throughout Jesus' life. I'd like you to follow with me as I read, beginning in verse 14 of Luke 4. Then Jesus in the power of the Spirit returned to Galilee, and news about him spread throughout the surrounding countryside. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by all. Now Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the regaining of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to tell them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled even as you heard it being read. All were speaking well of him and were amazed at the gracious words coming out of his mouth. They said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus said to them, No doubt you will quote to me the proverb, Physician, heal yourself, and say, What we have heard that you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown too. And he added, I tell you the truth, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was a great famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to a woman who was a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha. Yet none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up and forced him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But he passed through the crowd and went on his way. You know, as I read that, a number of things kind of stood out to me, and I want to kind of review the narrative with you as we get into the the story this morning. Uh, And uh, first of all, let me observe as we begin to think about this event in Christ's life, as he goes back to his hometown, that um, none of the gospel writers makes an effort to tell us everything they knew about the life of jesus Uh, john tells us rather frankly the reason for that (laughs) john had been there from the beginning of his ministry he was one of the first to be called and as he wrote many years later came to the end of his gospel he said i've recorded these these stories for you these uh events from the life of christ Uh, so that you can believe that he is the Son of God and that believing you can have life in his name. But he said, if I were to tell you everything there is to know about Jesus, well, he says, I don't think the whole world could contain the books. He did so many amazing and marvelous things. Well, that's obviously true of all the gospel writers. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke also are somewhat selective in the uh, things they want to tell us. And those selections, guided by the Holy Spirit, are based upon the central message of their particular gospel. Uh, Matthew has a point he's driving at, Mark has a point, and Luke has a point that God has put on their heart. And they they select these. Why am I belaboring this? Well, um, it's hard to piece together the precise order in which things were done, And if you just read Luke here this morning, it almost sounds like Jesus came up out of the Jordan and from the wilderness and went right back to Nazareth, more or less. But the reality was that there was some time before he went back to Nazareth. He had ministry in other places, and he had ministry in the regions around Galilee and nearby so that he would go into the synagogues on the sabbath days and he would preach and teach and the popularity the news was beginning to spread wow we've never heard anybody like this there's a there's a new teacher in town uh come here jesus expound the scriptures you know and it was that kind of a thing that everyone was talking about him and he was performing miracles his ministry was underway with significance and so Luke picks up the thread and tells us that eventually he made his way back to his hometown of Nazareth that was not the first place he had gone and he is invited to do the reading now what would happen in a synagogue was like a local church um the temple was in jerusalem and people would make pilgrimages or they would make special trips to go to the temple as they were able but most of the time they couldn't do that on a weekly basis and up where he was it was a three or four day journey so you can imagine if you went to the temple every week you'd spend your whole life going and coming from the temple and so that's not what happened they had local churches just like we do and they would meet in those local assemblies. And they were kind of like our uh, contemporary brethren churches in that they they might have uh, been privileged to have a rabbi, but they usually had some member of the priestly family and some member of the Levites. Uh, they would have been the same family, but priest and Levites were different offices that would be associated with a local synagogue. And they would get together and uh, they would... Um, take turns each sabbath day reading the scriptures and uh, some say they had as many as seven different readings and one of the people who read the scriptures might want to offer a teaching and so it became their custom that if there was some new person in town Uh, that was a jew and of appropriate age and whatever they might invite that man to read the scriptures and have a word to say so this is kind of the background now jesus of course had grown up in nazareth so they knew who he was and uh, probably he had read the scriptures at other times in his life in that local synagogue and the news was all over the place that he was doing amazing things. So imagine, here's the hometown boy come back to go to church with his family. His Mary was there, his brothers and sisters were probably there. They all go to the synagogue together on the Sabbath, and as they're reading, uh, they usually would read from Moses, and then they would read from the prophets. And then when they came to the prophets... They invited Jesus to do the reading, and the attendant, the kind of leader of the synagogue, handed him the scroll. And you kind of get the impression that maybe he picked out this passage, but it's very possible that it was simply the next reading in the, the liturgy. It was the one that was planned for that day. And he opens the scroll to Isaiah And he reads this marvelous passage from Isaiah 61 that uh, God has appointed this one to proclaim good news, the gospel to the poor. And as he reads this scripture, he sits down and hands the scroll back to the attendant and you can imagine they're kind of waiting to hear what he's going to say. And he says something startling. He says, this prophetic word has been fulfilled today in your hearing. That's kind of like the first salvo that Jesus fires in the hometown synagogue, that he is the one Isaiah is talking about. And as he begins to expand on this passage, they're amazed. In fact, you can kind of hear the whispers, you know, around the room. Isn't that the carpenter's son? You know, the one down the street where the shop is. Isn't that him? That that Jesus? And they're just kind of astounded that his speech is so powerful you remember what they said in the sermon on the mount as they listened to him he is speaking like one that has authority he talked almost as if he had written it oh but he did didn't he and he brings that authority and that anointing and and they're kind of mesmerized by this and yet Jesus grew up in this town and he grew up with these people and he knows them and he knows how they think and he realizes that they're kind of enamored with him but they are really not believing they're really not trusting that he is who he is and so he says And I think this is one of his favorite proverbs because he quotes it in other places. No doubt you will say to me, physician, heal yourself. In other words, um, here you are at home in your hometown. um, Do the kind of works you did in Capernaum. Uh, Show how powerful and how mighty you are. And he says, "I, I tell you, there's a problem here. And then he talks about these two stories with Elijah and with Elisha and he says in times of great need God ministered to those outside the fold in fact not necessarily even Jews and I don't know if he was deliberately pushing their buttons because he knew them so well but he was definitely kind of going for the jugular he was going Uh, to strike home with their unbelief that they really had no faith in Him as the Messiah. In fact, when they heard these words, the Scripture says the whole synagogue was filled with rage. Can you imagine suddenly rushing out of church to commit murder? That's exactly what happened. The whole crowd got so stirred up and enraged that they grabbed hold of him and they thrust him out of the synagogue and they start pushing him toward the edge of town. Now let me tell you, when you're going to have a lynching party, you don't just lose track of the person you're planning to lynch. They had every intention of pushing him out to the edge of the the cliff on which the hill on which the town had been built. And the cliff, some say, was in places as much as 500 feet down to the bottom. And their intention was to push him to the edge and throw him off. And suddenly, he's just not there anymore. They're pushing and they're pushing and then somebody pushes and there's no resistance. And Jesus has disappeared. And the scripture says he passed through the crowd. Clearly a miracle is underway here because, as I said, you don't just lose track of someone like that. And The crowd is thick and and they're pressing in on him and they intend to kill him and all of a sudden he's just not there. And he passed through them and went on his way. And I think this is one of those times when the devil tried to kill him. In fact, another time was in the ship at sea when the storm came up and sink the boat. Uh, there were other times in Jesus' life when the devil made an effort to destroy him. It didn't matter if he destroyed him through tempting him to fall into sin or if he destroyed him by uh, killing him off. It didn't matter to the devil. I don't know how much the devil actually understood about the cross, beforehand but i do know that he had every intention of preventing him from coming out of the grave the whole effort that satan was making in all of these episodes was one way or another to put jesus down and keep him there and so this is the the backdrop of the story and luke brings it out to us I find a sadness here because Jesus has gone back home to his own family and to his own town. I think he waited a while until the news had spread, perhaps hoping that they would be more open to who he was and to his ministry, but they're not. And they turn out to be the hard-hearted people that he had always known them to be. And the scripture in another place says he could do very little in Nazareth because of their unbelief. And ultimately on this occasion, as he's driven out of the synagogue, he leaves. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Don't you know that broke the heart of Christ? Don't you see a number of times in his ministry where there are these poignant moments? One time when all the crowd turns away from him, the passage that Carrie was reading this morning in our celebration of communion, where Jesus said, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and it was so offensive. To the Jews that they all left and he turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? I think that's one of the saddest questions in scripture. Are you going to leave too? And here he's in his hometown. Among the people that he grew up with, don't you know he prayed for them throughout his life? Don't you know that he longed for them, perhaps more than anyone, to know the truth? They were his boyhood friends. They were his business colleagues. They were his neighbors. And in the end, they wanted to kill him. They had nothing to do with him. And he left Nazareth to have very little ever again to do with them in his ministry. And my second point, I've made some observations from the text. I've called it short lessons and applications. These are just some things that struck me. You could almost uh, build a whole devotional thought or lesson out of these in and of themselves. But the first one is Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember that he goes to John in the Jordan River to be baptized, and as he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon him. He goes into the wilderness to face those temptation trials, and then he comes out with his ministry launched in the public way with a special anointing upon him. And and I find it fascinating that Jesus, the Son of God, is transformed by the anointed power of the Holy Spirit for this public ministry he's grown up in Nazareth there's no question in my mind that he was without sin he never cheated anybody Uh, he never uh, went back on his word he never uh, failed to complete a contract or to honor his commitments as a carpenter Um, he was it would have been considered a nice man in every sense of the word people had learned they could trust him don't you like to find people like that out there in the business community I know some people like that there's a fellow that I've trusted with my cars for nearly 30 years and uh, I count on the fact that he's never going to lie to me and he's always going to do what he says he's going to do and I can I can rely on that Uh, uh, And so this is the kind of situation that that Jesus had been that great guy in town that you could depend on. But he did not stand out as having messianic anointing. He was like under the radar in all of those day-by-day experiences until... He was anointed by the Holy Spirit for the public ministry and there was a transformation in his demeanor and authority and power as he began to fulfill the role for which he was designed. And I want you and and I to know, I want myself to know that uh, God is able to give that anointing to us. When he calls us for a purpose, I can clearly remember when God tapped me for preaching ministry. It was not on my radar. I had no intention of doing that, Uh, it was far from my mind. But God made it clear. And when the time came, the anointing came. And I was a different person. In fact, I I very early learned the scripture, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown. Uh, I eventually discovered that I had much more effective ministry um, out in other places than I did back home and living with my family and whatever. And part of it was uh, not because I was sinless. It was because they had uh, observed me before i was anointed by the lord and they just couldn't imagine well who are you you know but there was something transformational about the power of god and friends when god brings you to that moment and and gives you a task and assigns you ministry there is an anointing that will come and it doesn't have to be preaching Whatever He has called you to do, there is an anointing that comes that makes it very special and unique. The the life of Jesus Christ is intended to be an example for us that we can follow. And if you're lacking that authority and that anointing in ministry, I encourage you to ask for it because it's available in the power of the Holy Spirit. Another thing that I observe is that Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, <clears throat> Luke almost says it as, a, as an aside, as was his custom, as was his custom. You know, today uh, there's a lot of talk about a trend in the, among Christians that many of them are not identifying with the local church. Many people are, are abandoning commitment to a local congregation. Uh, say, I can connect with God in the woods. I can have fellowship at the coffee house. Um, I, I don't want anything to do with organized religion. And I don't want to get messed up in a, some church thing. Or, uh, and so they're, they're trying to live out their Christianity um, without connecting with a local assembly. Another thing that I hear people say sometimes is, "Why well, you ought to see those people down there that are leading that church. I know what kind of people they are, and I see them during the week, and I, I'm not sitting under that. Can I ask you a question? Do you think that the people who are in leadership have to be more mature than you? to justify you going to church? Who do you think was the most mature person in the synagogue in Nazareth? Who do you think knew the scriptures the best in the synagogue in Nazareth? Who do you think was the most honest, sincere, genuine, devoted person in the synagogue in Nazareth? And do you suppose that Jesus had the richest, private, personal relationship with God of anyone in Nazareth. But he felt compelled to go to the synagogue every Sabbath, to be in corporate worship, to be in the assembly. Because, friends, it's not about who's leading, or whether you can connect with God in the woods, something happens in the corporate assembly. Something happens in the public reading of Scripture. Something happens when the Word of God is expounded. The Spirit of God is present in a way that is is unusual with respect to other times when we're alone. In fact, Jesus said, when two or three of you have gathered together in my name, I am particularly present in your midst. There is no good reason. I mean, I I could go to Hebrews and preach a whole sermon uh, about how you ought to, you know, not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And by the way, I realize I'm preaching to the choir this morning. And so this is not for you, but I'm giving you ammunition so you can go talk to all those people that aren't here today that you know that ought to be here. There's no greater example in all of Scripture for why we should be weekly, consistently in the local assembly than the example of Jesus Christ. I've already mentioned how Jesus, as much as he loved these people, cut to the chase. To speak the truth very clearly to them. That's another thing that stands out to me. I suppose God spoke to my heart about that because I, I'm always the peacemaker. I, I always like to, you know, to low-key things. I want to be congenial. I want to be warm and friendly. I, I try not to be intentionally offensive. Uh, I want everybody to be, you know, nice and like each other and keep the peace and. It's interesting to me that Jesus goes right for the jugular when he points out the problem. And there comes a time, friends, when we love people, that we have to take off the gloves, put away the the gentle, easy terms, and go right to the heart of the matter and speak the truth in love, but the truth. I have no question in my mind that Jesus loved these people dearly. But what is obvious to me is that as soon as he homed in and cut right to the quick of their problem, they were furious with him. But he did it because he loved them. Well, I'm looking at the time back there, and I'm out of it. Uh, There's going to be another service here, and I don't think I have time to get through my third point, which was the main lesson. But let me just hit the high spots from Isaiah 61 as Jesus reads that. You know, he says to them, The Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I want you to see in this passage that In every case, although Jesus literally healed the lame and restored sight to the blind and and restored hearing to the deaf, he literally did those things. And there's no question about those miracles. That in the Isaiah passage, the specific terminology is addressing spiritual problems. He's not talking about people in jail here or people that physically cannot see. He's talking here about people who have poverty of spirit, whose lives are shattered, who are walking in darkness, who are in bondage to sin. And in all of those situations, Jesus says, today, this is the year of the Lord, the favorable year. This is the time, this prophecy is fulfilled. I'm here. To heal the broken hearted. To bind up those that are, uh, that are wounded. I have come to release those in bondage. The Hebrew word behind the broken is shattered lives. you ever look at a life that appears to you to be shattered? You look at someone and they've made such a mess. That you say that. They're never coming out of that. That is such a disaster. That's never going to get fixed. And yet Jesus is the healer. He's the one who repairs shattered hearts and broken lives. He's the one that can open the eyes of the blind and make them see clearly the truth. He's the one that can release those that are in capt- captive to sin. That's the bondage that it's talking about. And he can release the captives and set them free. That's his ministry to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Did you know that the year of the Lord that he's talking about was the year of Jubilee? And that the Israelites... Never celebrated it. You know, one of the hardest things that I've had to to learn, I'm going to turn this off, so I have to end when I'm out of thoughts. Um, One of the things that, that has been difficult for me to learn is that God has made us for rest. I'm one of those people that's always busy. But God has made us for rest. And when he gave the Israelites the law concerning the promised land, he said, every seventh year, I want you to take the year off. Plant your crops, have the harvest for six years, but when you get to the seventh, I don't want you to do any work for a whole year. I want you to have a year's vacation. Every week, I want you to take one day completely off. I don't want you to do any work. I want you to rest. I want you to think about me. Once every six years, I want you to take the whole year off. I don't want you to do any work. I will take care of you. I will make your harvest last through the next year. I don't know if they ever got that. And then he said, one year in 50, after the 49th year, the 7th seven, I want you to take another year off and that's the year when if you've had to mortgage your property the mortgage is canceled you get it all back that's the year if you have any debts they're just forgiven if you found yourself in a deep hole and you didn't know how to get out and you even sold yourself to somebody else as a servant that's the year they have to let you go you're free The year of Jubilee is the year when your family gets all the property back, the debts are canceled, you're freed again, you can start over, you get a fresh new beginning. Did you know the Israelites never once did that? What a a blessing that they ignored. And I did the math, it doesn't take advanced math to figure this out in the seventh seven the 49th year it amounts to two years off because you get the seventh one and then you get the year of jubilee you've got two whole years of vacation and you get everything back the second year that ever did it but jesus says i have come to give you the jubilee I have come to restore everything you've lost. I've come to give you rest. I've come to fill you up. I've come to set you free. I've come to bless your lives. I've come in this year to proclaim good news that you don't have to fear judgment and you don't have to pay the debt you owe God. I'm going to take care of it all. Just come to me and believe in me. Isn't that a marvelous message? Isn't that a marvelous message? I'm concerned, friends, that maybe you and I have become so familiar with Jesus that like those people in Nazareth, we take him for granted and we don't grasp hold by faith of who he really is. And what he really offers. It's an amazing offer. The year of Jubilee. Whatever your need, he is here to meet it. Father, thank you for your word. Minister to us this morning in the power of your Holy Spirit. And draw us into faith to believe you for all that you've offered. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.